Masechet Ketubot, Daf Nun Zayin. We're about to see a machloket, about a machloket, about a machloket. Uh, we're dealing with the machloket we saw yesterday between Rabbi Yoseh, who says that a man can make a stipulation regarding the Ketubah verbally, and the condition will stick. Whereas Rabbi Yudah says you cannot make a verbal condition, it has to be written. Uh, so Rabbi Yosef says, yes, you can change something verbally. Rabbi Yosef says, you cannot change something verbally. We want to know, at what, when, when are they talking about? Uh, do they have a machloket all the time? Uh, from the beginning of the chuppah till the end of bi'ah, all that is the, the duration of the, weddings, of the, of the wedding, uh, from the beginning till the consummation. So is, does the machloket apply during that entire period, only part of it? So we see it only applies to part of it, but which part? So here, So Ravdimi, who came from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel, reported the following in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. It says, He says, The machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yosef is only at the beginning. We're going to see what the beginning means. Beginning of what? It doesn't say. Um, so beginning of the chuppah, beginning of bi'ah, let's say beginning of chuppah. Okay, the machlok is only at the beginning, but at the end stage, whenever that is, is we'll define that, everyone agrees she cannot uh, forget, for, forego those rights. In other words, it cannot be done verbally. Uh, there's no more, no, you can't change anymore, because then it's already by the, uh, towards the end where it gets more serious. Okay, that is Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. Rabbi Yochanan Amar ben Bezo ben Bezo Machloket. Rabbi Yochanan says that the that the Tanaim, Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yosef, disagree throughout the entire time period, all the way from the beginning, even at the end. So it looks like there's Machloket between Rabbi Yosho ben Levi and Rabbi Yochanan. However, Amar Rabbi Abu, Rabbi Yochanan, Minet Rabbi Yochanan, Tana Rabbi Yosho ben Levi la Palginanade. But Rabbi Abu says Rabbi Yochanan told me that there actually is no machloket between him, himself, Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Rather, they're just using different terminology. When Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was talking about the beginning, he meant the beginning of chuppah. So we can look at our chart here. According to Rav Dimi, at the beginning of the chuppah, that's when we have a machloket, and Rabbi Yosef says you can make a change, Rabbi Yudah says you cannot make a change. Uh, whereas end means after bi'ah, then everyone agrees you cannot make a change. Fine, that's what Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said in his uh, language, but we're going to see Rabbi Yochanan actually said the same thing. Even though Rabbi Yochanan says from beginning to end, no change, right? That was, he said, Rabbi Yochanan ben bezo ben bezo machloket. Sorry, Rabbi Yochanan says, and from beginning to end, there is a machloket, but what does he mean by those words? Uh, when I said that throughout the process there is machloket applies, I meant the beginning and end of the chuppah, and the end of the chuppah is the beginning of bi'ah. So therefore, according to the Yochanan, he says the machloket applies from beginning to end, but that just mean, means beginning at the end of the chuppah ceremony. That's when there's machloket. But after the end of the chuppah, then there's no machloket. Everyone agrees you cannot change anymore. Even Rabbi Yosef would agree. Rabbi Yosef ben Levi was saying the very same thing. 
He just said beginning, meaning the chupah, that's the whole chupah, and end means bi'ah. And so you can make a, uh, make a change, according to the Biyoseh, during the chupah, but he agrees you cannot make a change afterwards. So actually, uh, there, uh, there's no machloket between the ben Levi and the Biyochanan. They both uh, are just using different terminology. All that is Rav Dimi's version. But we're about to see Ravin, who was also one of the travelers, has another version of this tradition. So in this version is more lenient and says that the machloket, the controversy between the Tanaim is only at the end. End of what? We'll see. Um, but in the beginning, everyone agrees that you sh- uh, that she can uh, uh, she can forego. Yes, he can make a condition, and the condition will apply. Even uh, to be Yehuda would agree. So he says something about according to Ravin, beginning of Chupa, all say one can change. Um, fine. Now Rabbi Yochanan Amar Ben Bezo Ben Bezo Machloket. Rabbi Yochanan says throughout the entire period is a Machloket. Now it looks like they are disagreeing, but once again, Amar Rabbi Abu Ledi Dimefasha Libinet Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Abu says Rabbi Yochanan himself told me that the Anav Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi Lapal Ginadade. We have no substantive Machloket. We're just using our, the, our words differently. My Lebasof Te Amar. Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, we're using, we have different definitions of what beginning and end mean. Uh, when Rabbi Yosho ben Levi says end, what does that mean? Sof chupa. Umay techila, techilat chupa. That was all within the chupa. Vechi ka'amina ana ben bezo ben bezo machloket. I said, from beginning to end there's a machloket. Techilat bi'ah besof bi'ah. I was talking about beginning and end of bi'ah. So let's see here. Rabbi Yosho ben Levi was talking, said that at the beginning, meaning the chupa, Everyone agrees you can change. So this is the whole thing is shifted over one step more lenient. And end is machloket. The end of chupa, that means during the whole bi'ah process, that's when there is a machloket. Rabbi Yochanan says from beginning to end there is a machloket. He meant from beginning to end of bi'ah. So beginning to end of bi'ah is the same as saying end of chupa. Uh, because right after the chupa, then is the process of bi'ah. So actually, that's just a semantic argument. Uh, and really, substantively, they all agree. Okay, so we do have a machloket, therefore, between Rav Dimi and Ravin about how Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yosho ben Navi interpret the machloket of Tanaim. But, so there's three levels, right? The Tanaitic level, early Amoraim, and these late Amoraim. Uh, the early Amoraim certainly have a machloket about whether you can change or not. Where does it apply? Well, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yosho ben Navi agree on how to interpret uh, the Tanaim. The thing is that Avdimi and Ravin have two different versions about what Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yosho ben Navi, they, those two earlier Moraim agree, but we're not sure uh, what they agree on. And that is uh, subject to the Machloket at the third level, at the latest level. Um, okay, now we're not done yet. Amara Papa, ilavda Amara Biyabhu, Lididi Mefashali Mineh, Papa says, if not that Rabbi Abhu told us that he himself heard from Rabbi Yochanan that he, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yosheb ben Avi do not have a machloket, if, he didn't, if I didn't know that from Rabbi Abhu, Hava Amina, Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yosheb ben Avi pelige, verabdimi verabin la pelige. I would have interpreted all these words in a different way 
to get to the end result that the, the early Amoraim, Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi Shabbat, and Navi, are arguing on each other, and Rav Dimi and Ravin are not arguing on each other. And I would explain the words such that I would have the third level machloket not be a machloket, um, rather than the second one. Uh, why would he do that? We'll see in a second. How he does that, he would do it as follows. My sof de kamaravin, sof chupa. My techilada de kamaravdimi, techilat bi'a. When Ravin said end, he meant the end of chupa, which is what he says. Uh, so in other words, the machloket is at the end of the, of the chupa. That means during bi'a. So the machloket is during bi'a. That's how I, I would have explained Ravin, which is how we explained it anyway. But he would have explained the Rav Dimi differently than the way we explained it. He would have said that when the Rav Dimi says beginning, that means beginning of Bi'ah. So that the beginning, um, me, where, when is there a at, at the beginning. Beginning of what? Not beginning of Chupah as we interpreted earlier, but rather beginning of Bi'ah. That's when there is a Machloket. And if you interpret it that, Rav Dimi, that way, then beginning of Bi'ah there's Machloket. That's the same as Ravin who says end of Chupah Machloket. End of chupa and beginning of biyah are the same, and that way there would have been there would have been a machloket between Rishon ben Levi and Rabbi Yochanan, in according to that interpretation. Uh, in other words, that all that would have been just for the Yoshua ben Levi. So there would have been a machloket at the second level, but no machloket at the third level. That's what a papa says. Now, why is Rabbi Papa telling us this? You know, we know from Rabbi Abu, we trust his, his tradition, and hear it from Rabbi Yochanan that that's what they meant. So why is Rabbi Papa, what is Rabbi Papa teaching us in saying that he, if he didn't know that, would have preferred there to be a machloket at the second level and not the third level? He's going to actually teach them something very important. That we would prefer that two Amoraim would have a machloket about their own reasoning. Uh, we, everyone has different reasoning, different un- understanding of a text or what the issues are and what's important and when exactly during the marriage ceremony do we consider that uh, the, the marriage takes effect and becomes more serious to, to, the, to such an extent that uh, the, the, the man has already uh, decided to what to give and cannot make a change, right? When can you make a condition, the nature of conditions, the nature of marriage at each step? We understand that people will have different understandings and reasoning, um, and there should, could, uh, could be a machloket at that second level. But we do not want, we prefer never to have a machloket between two amoraim about what a previous amora said, because that's, uh, that's simply a machloket about facts. And a controversy about facts means that one is right and one is wrong. If they don't know what Rabbi Yoshua ben Navi said, and Abdimi says, I think he said that. Abin says, I think he said that. One's right, one's wrong. Someone uh, uh, heard correctly. Someone misheard, got a wrong, uh, a wrong tradition. And uh, in that case, uh, you can't say, Elu ve'elu dibrelu kim hayim, because it's just a fact. One's right, one's wrong. And so uh, Rav, uh, Rav Papa is saying that if not for Rabbi Abhu, I would have preferred to know that Rav Dimi and Ravin were reporting the same thing, right? They both confirmed Israel and they both reported in the name of Rabbi Yosheb ben Levi what we know what Rabbi Yosheb ben Levi says. They just use different language. 
even though Rabbi Yoshim and Rabbi Yochanan have a machloket about where to apply the machloket tanaim, but that is a substantive uh, machloket about reasoning, and both of those can have truth value, because uh, that, that's totally fine. They're not arguing about uh, facts, but they're arguing about issues. Uh, but since Rabbi Abhu did, in fact, say there's a machloket at, uh, at uh, 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 since Rabbi Abhu did say that there's no machloket at the second level, the only way to understand there's no machloket at the second level is to say that there is a machloket on the third level. So sometimes, uh, you know, what can we do? Sometimes there is a machloket even about what an Amora actually said. The next Mishnah talks about the timing of the wedding. Usually people would do Kiddushin and write a Ketubah, and then, why, then, then they might, may wait uh, several weeks or several months uh, before the Nisuin. Uh, if they set an exact date for the Nisuin, then they have to get married on that date. If not, there are penalties for whichever side is delaying. If they do not set a fixed date, what's the maximum that they can delay? Uh, that's our Mishnah. Uh, we give a for a betula. Betula has a lot of things to prepare for. Uh, it's a first time marriage, so she's got to get everything ready and build a new house and um, uh, and all that. Uh, uh, get the, the wedding preparation. So we give her twelve months from the time that the husband asks her in for her hand in marriage. Uh, which would be like an unofficial engagement that we call today, uh, so that she can prepare herself. And so too, we also give him the same amount of time uh, from the time that they both agreed to get married. They have 12 months. If 12 months should come, and she says, well, I'm still not ready, then her, uh, her ketubah will be reduced. On the other hand, if the 12 months comes and she says, okay, I'm ready, and he's still not, and he has to, he delays further, then he will have to pay more for the ketubah. So these are all financial considerations. Well, However, if it's her second marriage, uh, then she only requires 30 days, because she already prepared once for it, so the second time around is easier to prepare. If the time comes and they still didn't get married, uh, then she has a right to eat from his food. The Ketubah says he has to provide for her sustenance. And while they're engaged, she's still living in her father's house. But once, whatever time it is, the time that they set, or the maximum 12 months, or maximum 30 days for an almana, so at that point, she can, uh, he is responsible to feed her. And if he is a Kohen and she is not, then he, uh, then he can give her Tiruma. She can start eating Tiruma. We're going to see more about that. If he is, whenever, he's provide, whenever the man is providing for his, uh, his fiancé wife, he can give, he can pay her all in Tiruma. Now, even though she can only eat Tiruma when she's Tehora, uh, which means when she, whenever she's Temea, which is for sure going to be Nida in other times, she won't be able to eat that Tiruma. So that means she won't be, that's a big, uh, it's a bit of a problem, but it'd be tough when it's okay, because she can always sell the Tiruma to a Kohen, take the money, and with the money buy food. So it's fine. Rabbi Akiva, however, demands that the husband uh, provide for her half with regular chulin food and half with tiruma food. Uh, that way, 
uh, at least half the time she's going to be, uh, around half the time she's for sure going to be tameh, tameah, and therefore she'll eat the cholin and the rest tiruma. Um, so that, that makes it easier for her that she doesn't have to go and sell it uh, to buy food. Hayavam, enom achil bituruma. Yavam, while a woman is waiting for yibum, as she's not yet married, so that means her husband died, and so now she is shomeret yavam. Uh, the yavam does not, uh, he, she will not eat teruma while waiting for the yavam. And so if a woman is engaged to be married, and so she waited six months, Right, so she has a year, all, 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 she's a betula, so he has a year to wait. Uh, she waits six months and he dies. And then she's, she's waiting for the Yavam another six months. That does not add up to a year uh, because it's only, it's a year waiting for one person, not for a combination of two. And even if uh, she was waiting to get married to her husband, for one year minus one day, uh, and then the and then she fell to the yavam. Uh, that does not that's not a full year. So the yavam does not complete that year. He ha, he can wait more time. Or kulan yavam or the other way around that she was waiting for the husband for one day and then she fell to yibum and the twelve months minus that one day comes up. The Yavam also still does not provide terumah, and now chelit bitrumah, that whole time she does not eat terumah. So theoretically, it can be uh, up to two years minus two days if the original husband dies one day before the full year, and then she falls to the Yavam and stays with him for another one year, less one day, uh, she will not have access to terumah that entire time. Everything we said above is the original law uh, that once the time comes for the wedding, even if the wedding didn't happen yet, he has to provide for her and he can give her tirumah. However, a betin later on changed the law and said, A woman does not eat tirumah until the actual marriage. Uh, we'll see the reason is because uh, if she's still living in her father's house, then, and she gets a delivery of tiruma, she's eating that tiruma in her father's house, so then her siblings, her parents are like, oh, that looks good, and they're going to eat from it, which is a problem, so it's not a protected area, uh, because people are used to sharing food uh, in one house. So therefore, that's uh, not, not until she physically leaves her father's house and goes to her husband, then, uh, which is at the wedding, then she only, and then and only then can she start eating turuma. Even though, from the letter of the law, the original law was that she deserves to be able to eat turuma from beforehand. Okay, from from whenever the husband is required to give her sustenance, he can also give her turuma. All right, menahanemile. What's the origin that for a betula, they, she, and he have twelve months to prepare? before they are required to get married. Regarding Rivka, when Eved Avraham goes and, and uh, uh, finds Rivka, and then he goes and meets uh, Rivka's brother and mother, and they're negotiating because the brother and mother want, her, want, them to, want her to stay a little while longer, whereas Eved Avraham wants to take him away immediately. 
uh, to go back to Abraham and to meet Yitzhak and marry him. So the brother, Rivka's brother and mother, say, let her stay here, says Yamim, days or 10 days. Now, what does it mean, days or 10 days? Usually, whenever we have a plural, we assume it's the minimum plural, which is two. So if that means two, does a person speak like that? Well, this is not a good negotiating tactic. First, first you think the, uh, the, the brother and mother said, well, let her stay two days. And then he said, no, no, two days is too long. And then they said, 10 days. That doesn't make sense, right? They would be compromising with, for less time, not for more time. You know, unless we use this tactic sometime for our kids. If you say, you know, you're going to go, you have to go to sleep at eight o'clock. And they say, no, okay, fine. You said, no, now it's going to have to be not, now it's going to have to be earlier, seven o'clock, right? Because you said no. But that's not what's going on here. So it doesn't make sense to go from a lower amount to a bigger amount. So it doesn't make sense that they said, let her stay two more days. Yeah, Eved Abraham says, no, that's too long. And they said, okay, fine, 10 days. No, it has to, go, it has to become less. Rather, the word yamim, although sometimes it can mean days, it can also mean a year. Where do we see that? In this pasuk in Vayikra that says if a person sells, uh, a dwelling in a walled city, uh, so he can redeem it, until uh, one year after the sale. So we know that Yamim here means one year because it's explicit. That says, that's the time period. Yamim means one year. So to hear, it means Yamim Asod. First, the Rivka's uh, family said, let her stay for one year. And then Yitzhak says, no, uh, Eved Abraham says, no, impossible. And they say, okay, fine, how about 10 days? All right, so from that's the source that one year is the standard amount. In that case, uh, they, they didn't wait a year, uh, but we do learn from there that a standard amount that is appropriate to ask for someone to wait to before the marriage is in fact one year. Now, ve'ema chodesh, how do you know yamim means a year? Maybe it means a month, dikhtiv ad chodesh yamim, when the, this is regarding the slav meat that came down, and uh, Moshe says, you want meat? I'm gonna have it up to, up to a month. And it says chodesh, and it says you want yamim, so yamim can mean a month. Amri, the answer to that is Danin Yamim Setami Yamim Setam and Danin Yamim Setami Yamim Shenemar Bahen Chodesh. If you have the word Yamim by itself, which you have here in Bereshit and in and in Vayikra, that makes sense. That's a year. Whereas the one Chodesh Yamim is not Yamim by itself, but has a modifier, and so that's uh, that's not as good as an option as the one from Vayikra, which means it's one year. All right, that's our source. Now Amar Bizera Tana Ketana. Ben he ben So we have a baraita that says if a girl is a minor, she's under twelve. Then if she is not ready, or if the father are, is not ready to marry off his daughter, they can wait even more than a year until she grows up. So if she's eight and uh, she's not ready, then the guy has to wait until she is twelve. Um, uh, so even longer. Okay, that's the Braita. Let's analyze it. Makes sense that she should be able to uh, wait because she knows herself and she says, I'm not ready. I'm still a kid. Still, um, you know, playing with, uh, with dolls 
and I'm not ready to be married, so she can wait. But why should the why would the father wait? If the girl's okay with it, then what difference does it make to the father? The father, I guess, you know, would usually want to know that his his daughter is taken care of and and someone is providing for her. So if she's ready, then why would a father not be ready? What does it have to do with him? The answer is the father is worried for his daughter. Maybe right now she doesn't know. She says she's ready, but she's a little kid. She doesn't know what she's getting into. And now she's going to go married. Tomorrow she's going to not like it. And she's going to be a, a rebellious wife. She's not going to fulfill her, her proper duties. And she's going to end up being, being divorced. And where is she going to go when, when she gets divorced? Back to me, back to the father. And so he wants to make sure uh, that's his responsibility, to make sure that his, even though his daughter says she's ready, the father will, will also chime in to make sure that he too is confident that she is ready. Rabbi Abba Levi said that we do not make a final, finalize an agreement uh, when a girl is a minor to marry her off. But when you can make a final agreement, even while she's a minor, as long as the wedding is set for when she will grow up. Uh, in other words, the final uh, uh, agreement is not binding if the agreement is that she is going to get married while she's still a ketana because she may change her mind, she may delay, so it's not a binding agreement unless the wedding is set for when she is a gedola. Pishita, we say, isn't this obvious? Right, that's basically what we just said before. We might have thought that if she has to agree from when she's a minor, she's already going to be afraid and she's going to continue to be weak in her commitment even at, even when she becomes an adult. That's, so we might have thought that the, in any agreement while she is a ketana is not binding. And therefore, the Baraita has to come teach that the agreement while she's a ketana is binding as long as the wedding will be when she's an adult. So even though she had agreed to it uh, beforehand, once she's an adult, she will not be afraid and she'll know what she's getting into and she'll be fully committed. Amar Rav Huna, Bagra Yom Echad Venit Kadesha, Notnin La Shiloshim Yom Ke Almana. Ravuna teaches that if someone, if a girl becomes a bogeret, I mean 12 and a half, and then one day, and then she gets, and then she becomes mikudeshet, she does not get 12 months from that time to prepare for the wedding, but rather only 30 days, the same as an almana. The reasoning seems to be that uh, by, by time a girl is that age, she probably has already been preparing for a wedding. Right? What else would, would she be doing? And therefore, since she's so old, she's like an old maid already, 12 and a half, so she must have prepared already her dress and jewelry and mentally prepared whatever else she had to do, and therefore she only gets 30 days. Okay, that's Ravuna's statement. We are going to challenge it three times. The third one will be a successful challenge. Metibe, the first one, from Abraita, Bagra, Hare, He, Kitbu'a. When a girl becomes an adult, 12 and a half, that is like the time when she is proposed and, and agrees to marriage. 
Now, what does that mean? My love, kitwa de bitula, isn't that this mean the same as a bitula, who's a minor, who gets asked in, uh, asked in marriage and has 12 months? So isn't it saying that she has 12 months? And I said, no, la, kitwa dalmana, not necessarily. It could be like uh, an almana who agrees to get married, who has only 30 days. Okay, so this paraita is ambiguous enough that Avuna can answer it. Second attempt, Tashema, Bogereshashah Tashenem Asar Chodesh. Rabbi Eliezer Romero, Ilvechayav Ba'ala Bimzonoteha Yafer Bogeret. She became an adult and she waited 12 months. And so now that's it. That's the full amount of time she can wait to get married. At that point, Rabbi Eliezer says, since the husband has to provide her food from then on, he also gains the right to undo her vows. Good. That's interesting in by, by itself that the sustenance and vows go together. But look, Emma Bogedev Shatashanem Asar Chodesh. Um so oh, so so this uh, by itself is a question. Uh, it does it seems like she Bogedet has twelve months to wait. So isn't this a challenge to Rabuna who said only thirty days? No, we answer, read it as saying a Bogedet and someone who waited 12, uh, 12 months, either Bogeret, who only waited 30 days, or a Ketana, who waited 12 months. In both of those two cases, since the husband has to provide sustenance for her, he can undo the vow. Uh, by, by splitting out the two cases, we're no longer talking about a Bogeret, who waits 12 months, a Bogeret, or a Ketana, who waits 12 months. All right, so we parried that uh, attempt. But now the last one is going to be successful. Tashema from a Braita Hameres etabetula ben Once you do kiddushin with a betula, whether um, he uh, he asked her, said, "Okay, I'm ready to get married. That's it," and she's delaying. Ben or whether she says, "Okay, I'm ready. It's time to get married," and he is the one that's delaying. They have twelve months from the time of the uh, of the request. Aval lo mishat erusin, but that's from the time of request, not from the time of kiddushin. The time of request, I assume, would be before the kiddushin. The Baraita continues, Once a girl becomes 12 and a half, she is like, it's like she, she already accepted a request. Even if no one asked her hand in marriage, by that time, she already starts preparing. So she's considered as like pre-requested. How so? If she gets, um, she became 12 and a half plus one day and, kid, and someone asked her hand in Kiddushin, that did Kiddushin, we give her 12 months. You see here it says explicitly that after she became a Bogeret, she still has 12 months. So this is a final blow to Rav Huna. It also adds, for a girl who is Arusa, she gets 30 days. We're going to have to explain what that means in a second. But right now, we know that it cannot mean that once someone's a Bogeret, she has only 30 days. It says right here that she has 12 months. Okay, good. Now, let's explain this clause. What case is this talking about? That a woman who's Arusa gets 30 days. Bogeret shavru chodesh bebagrut. Oh, the first clause means that once she became a Bogeret and she waited 12 months and she's now 13 and a half. 
And from 13 and a half on, whenever she does Kiddushin, she has only 30 days. In other words, it's similar to Ravuna, but just that you have to push, every, push it off for another year. That a girl is not preparing for marriage when she's a child, but once she's 12 and a half, she's already mentally maybe doing things to prepare for marriage, even if there's no guy asking her out. She's doing it anyway, because what else is she going to do? And therefore, once she's uh, 13 and a half and someone, and she does Kiddushin, then she only has a month because she had time to prepare. Where, um, so that, and that's the end, Vidlarusa. So we give her 12, uh, we give her 12 months. Um, in other words, if it's before the 13 and a half, she gets 12 months. But once that year of being uh, single and an adult pass, then whenever someone does Kiddushin, she gets only one month, not another 12 months. All right, good. Finally, we're going to explain the reason for the Takana of the sages that um, a bride will, cannot get Teruma while she's still in her father's house. From the letter of the law of the Torah, someone who is already in Arusa, even though she's a Bat Yisrael and she is Meoreset to a Kohen, she really could eat Teruma from the time of Kiddushin, since it says, Kohen, if he acquires a person, his acquisition, with the acquisition of his money. Uh, so this is referring to a slave, yes, but uh, also to a wife. It's not exact, it's not the same at all. As a slave, he's not acquiring her in that sense, but you do Kiddushin, which is a Kinyan, that you do with Kesef. So uh, in some sense, it is an acquisition through the use of money. And therefore, from the time of Kiddushin, he is already authorized, uh, she is under his authority, and technically can eat teruma. So in that case, why did the sages come later and say, no, we are not going to let her eat teruma when she's in her father's house, because maybe they'll come and they'll pour for her uh, a drink, some wine of teruma, while she's still in her father's house. And she said, oh, you know what? I want to share with my brothers, uh, with, with my brother, with my sister, who are not Kohanim and not married to Kohanim, and that will be a problem. So this problem of sharing her food when she's in her father's house. Good. Hold on. And that, if that's the true, then that should apply even after that 12 months or whatever it is that they decided um, that the marriage would be. And our Mishnah said, once the 12 months is up and he is still delaying, then he can give her tirumah. So, and she's still in her father's house. How come we don't worry at that point that she's going to share it with her family members? The answer is, In that case, he, the husband, will designate a special place for her to eat. Since he is at that point required to give her food, and he doesn't want to feed her, her whole family. So he's going to say, you know, come over here to this place and eat this teruma separately from your family. And so even though they're not living together yet, the husband and wife, and nevertheless, she's not eating at home. So it's okay. If you're worried about someone, people sharing food, then what about another case of a field worker who is a Kohen, He's Jewish Kohen field worker, and his boss is a Yisrael, and he's bringing his lunch to work with him. Uh, so maybe you would say he should not eat terumah because when they take a break from working in the field, they're going to go and eat. Uh, he's going to eat his lunch 
in the in the, his boss's home, and there's other people around that are going to say, "Hey, that looks good. Let me share some of that." They're going to eat. So, but we should say that a field worker cannot bring teruma for lunch. No, that doesn't make sense. In the, in the case of a field worker, he is eating from them. It's more likely that the members of the boss's family will provide lunch for the workers. Right? You never have the boss's family are going to come and take out of the lunchbox of the worker. Right? That will not happen. So you don't have to worry about it. It's different from family members. There's a worker, so he can bring his tiruma, and no one's gonna, no one's gonna share his food. Uh, that's one reason. Uh, so all that is one reason of ola that we're afraid of sharing food. Now another reason altogether why a uh, a bride who's arusa cannot eat tiruma when she's in her father's house. Rav Shemuel Barihuta Amar Mishum Simpon is because of abrogation, that the whole marriage may be retroactively annulled. Um, if uh, later on the husband should find a blemish in her and say, oh, you know what, you didn't tell me about this blemish, and now the whole marriage is off and he retroactively annuls the Kiddushin. Well, if in the meantime she was eating Tiruma, but now we find out that the Kiddushin was never, never was valid. So she was, uh, will thereby uh, be found to have been eating Tiruma as a Bat Yisrael, with no connection to a Kohen. Therefore, we want to wait until the marriage is fully solidified after the Nisuin to, uh, to make sure that it won't be, uh, to, then at that point, he'll, he'll, uh, they'll have had Bi'ah, he'll know if there were any blemishes, and, uh, and uh, if, this, if they're going ahead anyway with it, then we can be sure that he's not going to retroactively annul it. Okay, same question as before. If that's the reason, then, after the 12 months is up for a betula, and at that point he has to give her food and he can give her tiruma, why don't we worry about the same thing? They didn't have nisuin yet, maybe he'll find a blemish and retroactively annul it. And the answer is, Once the 12 months is up, and now he is going to have to feed her, and uh, he is going to send a, a woman to check her out. Uh, so since the, Nisu, the, the marriage didn't happen yet, so the, the Nisuin didn't happen yet, so he's not checking her. But before he goes and provides sustenance for her and gives her tiruma, he'll have, the husband will have her checked out by trustworthy people that there's no blemish that will bother him. And only then he, uh, they will get to Nisuin eventually whenever he's ready. So since they, he checked her out, and uh, uh, there's no blemishes, or there's no blemishes he cares about, so she can start eating tiruma. Ela me'ata. Okay, now another case. Evet kohen simpon. If you're worried about blemishes, and wouldn't that also affect a slave that a kohen acquires from a Yisrael? So once the, the slave is acquired, the halacha is that the, uh, the slave can start eating tiruma because the slave is in the Kohan's household. But why? Maybe we should wait. Maybe he should not eat lalechol uh, from the time of acquisition, but wait till he comes in and the, and the boss, the Kohen uh, owner, checks him out. 
So because maybe he'll find a blemish and he'll say, oh, this, this uh, slave is no good and return the slave. And in the meantime, he had been eating terumah, even though he's going to go back and say, this, is, uh, this uh, slave is no good and retroactively annul the transaction. So we answer, there is no blemish that would annul a, 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 an acquisition of a slave. What kind of blemish are you talking about? If it's on his outside, so he sees it at the time that he's, uh, he's, he's buying it, he sees if there's a blemish on uh, his face, on his arms, he'll see it. And if it's on a hidden part of his body, well, so he's buying the, he's buying the slave to do work. And so if it's hidden, what does he care about it? Well, it doesn't matter. It's not the same as a marriage where you care about what hidden parts look like. Nimsa ganav. Okay, what other blemishes could he talk, or could, could he worry about? That he's gonna, it turns out he's a thief, or kub yostus or a gambler? Well, so that's a come to him. This is, uh, this is the way it is. Sometimes uh, servants are thieves and gamblers. It's a common thing. And so this comes with the territory. You can't claim uh, that it is a mekach ta'ut, right? That's, uh, it's still a binding um, sale. Okay, the only thing that really would be a major problem is if this slave was an armed bandit, not just a common thief, uh, or he was uh, signed over to the death penalty by the government, and the government's going go to go take him away and execute him. So I didn't buy a slave for, for him to come and be taken away and executed, or he's an armed bandit. Well, in these cases, you're right, it would be a good uh, reason to un- uh, invalidate the sale, but it lehu. But those cases, there is they generate publicity. Everyone will know in the town. Oh, did you hear about this one? He's an armed bandit, and so he would not have bought him unknowingly. So we don't have to worry about those blemishes, and therefore uh, we sustain the reasoning of Shemuel of Shemuel Bar that uh, in the case of marriage, it's not the same as a slave. In the case of marriage, we do worry about blemishes that may retroactively annul the Kiddushin. And last point, Mikidi ben demor ben demor lo achla. According to both Ula and Rav Shemuel Bar Yehuda, the point is just she's not eating while she is uh, uh, before the Nisuin. So what's the difference between them? My benayhu, another long way of saying, my nafkamina, what will be a practical difference between the two reasons? Ika benayhu kibel. One is if he accepted the blemishes, he knows about the blemishes from before, uh, at the time of Kiddushin, they revealed everything, here's all the blemishes, and he says, fine. So then they, he will not be able to claim mekach ta'ut. So in that case, since he's no, he knows all the blemishes and he's, he's accepted them, so then she could eat terumah right away because there's no chance that it will be retroactively annulled. She could eat terumah. Whereas if the reason is because she's going to share with her family, there's still a worry that she's going to share with her family. That's nothing to do with blemishes. And on the other hand, the opposite nafkamina is masar v'halach. If the father uh, gave her over, gave over his daughter to the messengers of the husband, or he sent his messengers with her uh, to take her to the husband's house. Now, in either of those two cases, she's already out of the father's house. She's true. She's not yet in the husband's 
uh, uh, domain and the nisuin did not happen yet, but since she's out of the father's house, she's not going to be sharing food with the family members. And so, according to Ula, we don't have to worry about it, and she can start eating tiruma as soon as she is with the messengers on the way. Whereas, if you say that we're worried about blemishes, then, well, he still didn't check out her blemishes, and so, she, according to that reasoning, she would not be able to eat tiruma. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.